when I was in college, and I really didn't pay attention much, but it's, it's amazing what God will let you soak into your mind even when you're not paying attention. And, and I think I was in a humanities class, I'm going to guess with you. And somewhere in this, we were showing a film of John F. Kennedy. It was a short film about something, and I don't even know what it was about. But he was holding a press conference, and back then, you know, it's not funny, but back then everybody was smoking. You couldn't even see anybody for cigarette smoke, you know, at a press conference. Even David Brinkley in the Nightly News, you, you didn't know who they were, you know, half the time because they had smoke going on. on the, but that's, that's another. But anyway. But he was sitting, JFK was sitting in a chair. And keep in mind, I was born in 1959. And so when he was assassinated, I was just four or five years old. But they were showing an old black and white clip, and they probably had two or three hundred reporters He's sitting in a chair in a room somewhere, and he's on the same level as they are. He's not on a stage or a podium like they do now. And they probably had two or three hundred reporters or a couple hundred, and they were all shouting questions at him, and, you know, they in kind of a semicircle. And, and I'm not for sure why we were even watching this. I didn't mind it because it was a movie. Who doesn't like a movie, whether you know what's going on or not? But... Then all of a sudden, of course, they had security guards. Jordan, turn this down a little bit up here. Then they had security guards keeping people away, you know, the reporters, kind of like they do now. And then all of a sudden, you can kind of see a little rustling in the crowd. And people are moving over, you know, and, and, and you're not paying attention to anything. And all of a sudden, here comes his son. And at that time, I think he's about four or five. Seems like it. Now, when you're Danny Dwork's age, you, you remember George Taft's kids, but uh, I'm not that old. I mean, but, um, but anyway, here come the boy. And I mean, he just, I mean, he just beelined it straight through the crowd, and I'll never forget it. He sat right there in his dad's lap. Nothing changed, nothing moved, no big deal. And, and I think about this with Alex. No matter where he's at, whether it be church or a ball game or on the potty, Bye, Papa. I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is that, that I learned a lot with that black and white film that even though I wasn't paying attention, the difference was the reporters wanted information and that boy just wanted a relationship. And that's why Jesus said in, in John chapter 6, those that my Father has given to me will come to me, John 6 and 38, and I will in no wise cast out. You've got to say the whole verse. You just can't say, I want to know why it's cast out. That's a half a verse. Those that the Father has given to me will come to me. That's why here I don't have to beg and plead any of you, and I won't. Because if God has not called you, you're not going to come anyway. It's a sovereign divine calling. It's God's election. Whether you want to run from it or stampede out the door, it doesn't matter. But if your heart is filled with conviction, for the things of God, I got good news for you. God's hand is upon you. And if not, you're still in a good place. There's hope for you. <laughs> so when you're approaching Jesus, don't come to church just to get information. Well, I'd like to know where the unicorns went. Well, we all would like to know where the unicorns went. They're really rhinoceros, but besides that. Come to him on a relationship. 
I just don't want to know something to be smart. I want to know something so I can get a, a position and jockey myself up in position. I'm just trying to get to Jesus because I love him. And he's my, he, he's what I'm after. So that's why we're here this morning. I wanted to do this a while back, but I never got around to it, but I will. These are actual, it's called, always read the instructions, and it's called actual label instructions on consumer goods. It's actually on, there's about seven or eight of them on labels. You ought to read them, they're funny. Number one, this is on a bag of Fritos. Anybody here eat Fritos? Okay. You could be a winner. No purchase necessary. <laughs> Details are inside the bag. I mean, are, are we here to do a magic trick or something? I don't know. I, know. I don't know. On a bar of dial soap. Anybody remember dial soap? The directions, it says, use like regular soap. <laughs> and that would be, I don't know. Now, some of you, your mother put dial soap in your mouth. Yes. Danny. Mm-hmm. Anybody had that done to him? Hammy has not had that done to you. No wonder you are what you are today. <laughs> Swanson's frozen dinners. Here's a serving suggestion. Defrost. <laughs> now keep in mind, Amber, it's just a suggestion. You can serve it to him like that. It's fine. Rowenta Iron says this. Do not iron clothes while on the body. What it says. Now the question is, wouldn't it be faster to iron them on the body? Mm -hmm. Husqvarna chainsaw. Do not attempt to stop the chain with your hands. I own one of these. I mean, was this going on somewhere? Brandon? Spencer brand pudding. The product will be hot after heating it. And... You thought, I don't know. And here's the last one. It's called Booch Children's Cough Medicine. Do not drive a car or operate machinery after taking this medication. <laughs> yeah, we could do a lot to reduce the rate of construction accidents if we could just get these five-year-olds off this <laughs> cough medicine. Yeah. Read the instructions. They're funny. I'll tell you what, Galen, I've been gone this week, and I'll tell you what. There's some weird people in this world. Man. I mean, there's some weird people. I'm not telling you, you're, you don't have ADD and the rest of the alphabet, but I mean, there's some weird people outside the church. Last week, we talked about this. We talked about growing in God's lettuce plant. And I ask you this question. What could be greater than growing in God? And the answer was growing in God with one another. What could be greater than growing in God? We've been commanded to grow in God. I don't know if you know that. We took a long time last week, but we've been commanded to grow in God, develop, mature. But what it could be greater than growing in God? So we could say, hey, I'm growing in God. Well, that's wonderful, but there's something better than that. And you would say, what is it? It's learning to grow in God with other believers. Because some of you just don't play well by your, with other people. I used to have a shirt in high school or college said, I don't play well with others. And no wonder nobody wanted to talk to me. I get it. 
But when you come to church, the idea is that, that I appreciate you growing in God, but there's something beyond that. You've got to learn to grow in God with others. So this is referred to as growing in God's let us patch. And so there's, there's, there's about 25 or 30, and I think for two or three weeks I'll give you that, and then I'll give you the rest of them. But last week we talked about let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Only say what Scripture says. Homologia. And if I'll only say what God says, I'll be good. And without wavering, we'll get a Greek word called aklinus, where we get a word for recline. And the English translation says, only say what God says and never quit saying it. And we learned this last week. Let us hold fast to confession of our faith. So this morning, we're going to talk about, in God's latest patch, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, and part 11, it says there. So therefore remains a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into his rest. These verses are not just speaking concerning a day. Now, there's two, there's two Greek words, and, and I'm, I'm not going to split hairs, especially on Sunday morning, but this rest is not necessarily talking the rest of a day. It's concerning the Lord of the day. Sabbatismos is the, is the Greek word for the day. And, 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 and we, sometimes we get lost in this, that growing up as a kid, I did, in the Assembly of God Church, my mother and dad was raised Pentecostal holiness, so this pretty strict. But I mean, on Sunday, you couldn't do anything. Now, whether you want to worship on Saturday and there's great division, and, and listen, hey, I, I'm good to worship on Tuesday if your boss will let you off. I don't worship a day. I worship the Lord of the day. But, but even on Sunday, you couldn't hunt, you couldn't fish, you couldn't go bowling, you couldn't do anything. And, and, but I want to tell you, not this morning, but, but don't be such a hypocrite because the Bible says, remember the Sabbath, but remember the Sabbath has nothing to do with just showing up for church because there's people showing up for church that are not remembering what this thing is about. So let's don't get so hypocritical and high and mighty. Because the word remember, it means to erect a monument in front of it. It means that all you think about and all you're looking at is the Lord of that Sabbath. So what I'm telling you, I'm glad you're here. But for somebody to understand the word remember the Sabbath and keep it holy with the word for hagios or set it apart, it means this, when you come here, whatever day we come here, for God's sake, put Jesus in the center of your attention. Don't worry about if we got the music wrong and don't worry about if you don't like the yellow paint. We can always change singers and musicians and we can paint the walls. Remembering the Sabbath has everything to do with what the Sabbath day is all about. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and these Jews was not buying it. You're buying it, but they're not buying it. So this is the great argument and, and the great debate concerning salvation. Now, when it says, it says Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, Matthew 12, 8, Mark 2 and 28, and Luke 6 and 5, Jesus said the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, I'm, you want to worship on the Sabbath, on your temple, you have all your artifacts, you have all of your showbread and your, all the things that you do. There's 20, 
three courses of rituals that the priest would do, and he said, you worship that? But he said, I am better than that. No wonder they wanted to kill him because they thought he was blaspheming. To us, we know it now. To them, it was blasphemy. So he said, Paul says this, there is a rest that remains for the people of God. And you've got to labor to enter into that rest. And it's not a particular day. It's the Lord of the day. So we, we're not going to talk about it today. But if, if we want to get hung up on Saturdays and Sabbath, then we, we can talk about this, but we're not. But we'll just choose Sunday. But, but if you think there's power in that, just stay home from church. Here, watch this. Some of you do. You go, I can do that. I know you can. <laughs> stay home from the church. Your wife and kids will go to church and you stay in bed and don't get out of bed. Okay? Don't turn the TV on. Don't eat breakfast. Just pull the covers on top of your head and stay in a dark room from 6 a.m. till 6 a.m. Monday morning. Just do that. And when you get out of bed, ask yourself, am I more aware of the presence of God because I surrendered a day? Surrendering a day doesn't do anything to you except surrendering a day. Surrendering to the day of the Lord of the day will help you by coming and hearing about Christ, learning about Christ, singing about Christ. So it's not about a particular sabbatismo a day. It's about the Lord of that day. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll get it later, but, you know, you understand. Staying at home won't do anything for you. Somebody say, well... Just go find yourself. I did, and I wasn't impressed. <laughs> really? So Paul is pulling his hair out. You're, you don't get it. You're, you're watching a, a comedy show on a black and white television with the volume off. The audience is dying and laughing, but you're not getting anything. And Paul said, don't you understand there's a rest that remains to the people of God? A rest? A rest? And you've got to labor. Let us labor. This word capazo, this word labor is where we get the word for spadazo. It means it's hard work. The hardest thing that we can do is learn how to rest. Paul is saying, listen, there is a, a rest. Let us, let us. Forget about the world. Let us enter into that rest. It's hard work. Watch this. Why is it so hard? Watch this. Because you're learning to trust someone else. When, when you're not in control of something, you're not at rest. And here's the news of it. 99% of things in life, we're not in control of either way. You're not, you're not in control of the breath you breathe. And when that heart gets ready to stop, she's stopping. But you, you don't even think about it. You don't even think about breathing in now. This morning, you didn't wake up, oh, I wonder if I can make it through service and breathe in. You don't even think about that. How many, how many has ever flown the airplane? You talk about faith. What do y'all do? Walk, ride a bicycle? I mean, what do y'all do when you go somewhere? You don't go nowhere? Get out of town. But I mean, you climb in a hall of tube at 600 miles an hour, five miles in the air. And somebody's driving you that may be having a bad marital problem. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot. And, it, and he sounds like Foster Bush. My wife said she don't want me to live anymore because she's having an affair with my navigator and he's in the back with you. So, I mean, you know, you talk about 
having faith in God. I mean, I take my chances on God and his word any day over an intoxicated airplane, but you don't think anything about it. You don't think anything about it. Somebody crossing the center line, driving down the road in a, in a missile 70 miles an hour. But you come to church with his written word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you still don't believe it? Out you go. Rest. So the Apostle Paul said, so the great debate concerning was over salvation. So there's two categories Paul's dealing with. It's the works of men, which are religions and routines. And number two, it's God's grace. It was a finished work by Christ. St. John 19, verse 30. Jesus said, it is finished. Translatelesta. It's over. It's done. Now, the question is, why did God rest after creation? Now, there's a big movement. We're not going to get into any debate here, but the Bible said that God created on six days and he rested on the seventh. So the question is, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, then God rested from his creation. Why did God rest on the seventh day after creation? And the answer is, it's not that he was tired. He was finished. See, in Genesis chapter 1, God says seven, seven times it is good. Seven times it is good. And this Hebrew word for good means it's what I want. It's what I want. Because God doesn't make mistakes. But the idea is, is that, that in seven times he said, this is what I want, this is good. But by the time you get to Genesis chapter 2, he says, this is not good. You know what that was? When he made a cat. He said, it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I wrote that in my Bible. <laughs> so seven times God said it's good until he gets to Genesis 2 and 15 or 2 and 18, I believe. I think it's 18. And he said, this is not good. So what did God say was not good? Was it something of his creation that he didn't get it right? And he said, I shouldn't have painted the skies blue. I should have painted them purple and all this stuff. No, when he said it wasn't good is that when man was alone. And I want you to know, it doesn't mean you have to go and get married. Because the apostle Paul says, some of you were happy married and were happy in singleness. We're not trying to convince you to get married. But he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Companionship. And I mean it's Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. And you understand that? Make no mistakes. Don't, you don't want to cross that with me. But he says, it's not good for man to be alone. It means this, that even though that, that God had equipped him with knowledge and skill and gardening and, 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 and naming the animals and everything, but he said, even though that you're the package, but it's still not good for you to be alone. I want you to grow in me with someone else. The idea this morning is the fact that even though that God said it's good, it's good, it's good, but he said it's not. You, you so need, you so need a companion in your life that you can grow in God with. And I mean outside your spouse. 
And if you can grow in God, and Gail and I, we grow in God. But I mean, I mean, if you can find you a friend to grow in God and be accountable to that, I mean, it would serve you well because God said, it's not good for you to try to do this alone. Find you, find you a friend, find you someone and say, hey, I want to be accountable to you. Will you be accountable to me? And I can call you and you can call me and we can just share the gospel one to another and, and we're not going to talk about our wives. I just want someone to grow in God with because it's biblical and without it, you're only living half a life. It's a half a heart. So I try to surround myself with men that I want to be accountable to and with. And, and, and I do that. And they say, well, you're weird. I mean, well, how long did it take you to figure that out? <laughs> but when God said concerning his creation, he said, this is very good. This is what I want. Don't mess with it. Don't even think about touch. I'll tell you something funny. David's here. His daddy's Eddie. Worked for Phoenix Structure for 100 years. And a great builder, we were working on a project. Well, that's, that's a he-we. I was there. And, and we were building the funeral home out south of town, uh, Hillcrest. And I was there when the tractor, so I couldn't do anything. But he said, hey, you want to make some money without doing anything? I said, I'm already a preacher. He said, well, besides that, you want to make some more money? I said, yeah. So we get out there, and, and the grader was there. And I've got a sermon to give, but I'm going to tell you something. We get out there and we had to pour a slab, first thing. And they had, had some guys that were pouring a slab out there and it was perfect. I mean, those guys worked all day long to get the slab perfect. And guess what? Evidently, there was about three five-year-olds that felt like the slab wasn't perfect. Oh, he was hot. Oh, he was looking for anyone under the age. He was like Herod. I want to kill anybody that's under the age of six. <laughs> what I'm getting at is this. In God's creation, he wasn't tired. He was finished. And he said, now don't touch that. I want a man and woman. And it's very good. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. It's what I want. It's perfect. It's complete. And I don't need you for you sticking your stinking hands in there. I don't need you to say, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's go to the funeral home and say, don't even get around a finished product. No, that's right. When God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't the fact that he was tired. He didn't go, whoo, I'm beat. He wasn't tired at all. The Bible said that the keeper of Israel, he does not grow tired or weary. He says this, it's good. It's very good. Don't mess with it. Don't even think about touching it. I know you want to touch it. I know. Anybody went to a park bench and said wet paint? I know you want to touch it. Don Dixon, I guarantee you. Everybody walks around. Here's Don Dixon. He just, you know, him and Brandon, Brandon's sitting in it. And he looks like a prison, prisoner just got out of prison. He's got a striped red. It doesn't matter anyway. In creation, same way with Jesus. It's a finished process. When Jesus said it's finished, it's finished. Don't touch it. Don't stick your hand in it. Because, Robert, if you stick your hand in it, you'll mess it up. Don't leave your fingerprints. And don't write, Robert was here. <laughs> and our whole churches, our whole churches with religions and routines, and if you're visiting this morning, just, just bear with me. 
is that we're in a business that God has got to finish work and you're, and you're messing it up because you want to mess with it. Don't touch it. The work of Calvary upon the cross was sufficient for the abating and the forgiveness of our sins once and for all. And don't try to add religion to it and do this and the bullocks and lambs and all the performance because if you do, you'll mess it up. I think it'd be easier instead of us coming in here and me ordering you out what you have to do for the week, I think it'd be a lot better if we just come in here and with unity, as we learned last week, and say, Jesus is Lord of all. It's a finished work. And I'll just, I'll just admire and be amazed of his finished work and his creation. You'd be better off. But, but in our nature, we want to mess with it. Matter of fact, Jesus' finished work at Calvary was not only brought redemption, but it brought about rest. How many believe that the work of Calvary brought about redemption? Honestly. It's not a trick question. Do you believe that he brought about redemption? The word redemption means he bought you back. He was the purchase price. Okay. But not only did he redeem you, and he brought about redemption, but he brought about rest. He bought about rest. So in this package of the forgiveness of sins, it's a finished work. So there's nothing more that you can do. Now, keep in mind, hear me. There's nothing more you can do, and please, there's nothing more you should try to do. Whether it be speaking in tongues or running around the building or whatever goofiness that you may want to add to yourself. Well, watch this. You know, we don't need that. What we need is for you to understand the finished work of redemption at the cross and through the resurrection. Because the more that we understand the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the more secure our salvation becomes. So keep in mind, I've been doing this for 33, 34 years. And so if you've been raised in, a, in what we call a free will or Pentecostal, they're, they're all, and I mean not to be, but the free will doctrine, I mean, we're free willers. I'll tell you what, I, I agree with some of you on that because you are free wheeling. And, and what I mean by that, they say, well, well, I, well if, if, if my salvation is secure, I can do what I want to. But here's the deal. If you're born again of God, why would you want to do anything that's contrary to Loving God. So this is why the Bible says that whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. This is a word called paratithemy. It means to make a calendar of sin. It doesn't mean that you don't sin because we all sin. And John said, if any man said that I don't sin, the truth's not in him. So I'm not going to say that. But I will tell you, it said, whosoever born again of God does not commit sin. It doesn't mean like, well, tomorrow I'm going to the strip joint, and Tuesday we're going to go down there to the beer joint, and Wednesday we're going to go down there. And so you make a list of sin. We don't do that if we're born again of God. Now, do we accidentally run off the road and run over a cat from time to time? We may do that, but we're quick to repent. It takes us a while, but we'll repent. But the more you understand about the redemptive work of God through Jesus on the cross, the more secure you are in your salvation. And the more secure you are, what happens? It brings about rest. And I can't tell you how many people, and I'm not even going to say it's you, I can't tell you how many people that I run across 
that really have spiritual ADD. They're fidgety. And they're doing their very best to, com, com, to convince me that their salvation is right and all along their last words, but I don't want to go to hell and I'm just pulling my hair out. And I would say, have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you repented of your sin and now you're turning towards him? Yes. Then you're saved. Now we're going to work on that other, but you're saved. And you need to come to church and you need to support the kingdom. And, and we need to do all these things that are extra, but I will tell you, the more that we know about his work on the cross of redemption, it brings about a rest. And I'm going to tell you when you need this, when you're about to take your last breath. Now, I encourage you, when I'm about to take my last breath, you can come. You're all invited. You're, you're all invited. But I'll tell you what you will not hear me do. You will not hear me clench your hands and me scream at volume 10 and say this, I don't know if I'm ready to go. Some of you have lost loved ones, and it hurts to lose them, but one thing that you have in the depths of your heart, they were ready to meet God. And there's no feeling in the world like knowing you're ready to meet God, and there's no feeling in the world knowing you're not ready to meet God. And knowing that he has forgiven our sins, not only it brought redemption, but it brings rest. So I'm not going to try to work you up. I'm not going to try to round you up. I don't have a posse here. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, capazo, and I will give you rest. Watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you will have rest for your minds, souls. He said, come unto me, all you labor and heavy ladies. They're, they're trying to work eternal salvation and I'll give you rest and a palsis. The next step is take my yoke upon you and learn of me and I will give you rest for your Souls or minds. The church is filled with people that's got rest in their heart, but they don't have rest in their mind. So the more, evidently, the more that we learn of him, the more rest we'll have in our heart. Are you with me? Oh, you might as well be. I said this last week. Christianity is not a mindless Christianity. You cannot love and trust whom you do not know. Don't, don't go through this thing, oh, I, I don't read the scripture, I don't know anything about the Bible, I believe it, but I don't know anything about it. What a, that's nuts, don't say that to me. Oh, I'm married, I don't want to go home, but I'm married. <laughs> oh, I got nine kids and I love them, but I just hate them, so I just stay away. So they say, oh, I believe the Bible, do you now? What part, the only part of the Bible that works for you is the part you know. This thing is, this Christianity is not a mindless process because you cannot love and you cannot trust someone you do not know. 
Is there somebody in this church you don't know? I mean, really, you don't know? Like, no, no? Like, no? Do you trust them? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, I, uh-uh. No way. Mm-mm. But the more that you read scriptures and the more you have understanding in the mechanics of the Word of God, the more you learn to love God and the more you learn to trust God. And if you love God and you trust God, there's a rest. Okay? So let's, let's kind of finish this out when you say, I'll say hallelujah, you know, whatever. The gospel, the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this. So let us, here's the lettuce patch, therefore fear or have great concern lest the promise be left of us entering to his rest because any of you should come short of it. Now the idea of this was that Abraham was preached the gospel 430 years before the law even came. Galatians 3 says this. Show Galatians 3 real quick. And the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. He preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The gospel was preached to Abraham 430 years before the law. See, so the idea of this, we have to be very careful, I wrote, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, we have to be very careful not to allow even one promise of the word of God escape our thoughts because if we do, watch this, we will fall short of entering into his rest. Now don't go to sleep on me. The Apostle Paul said in Hebrews 4 and 1, 4, 4 and 1 said, he said, I am concerned for you. Let us make sure that not one promise of the word of God escapes from us because if it does, we will fall short of entering into his rest. Now, I don't know how many promises you do or do not know, but I will tell you, if the Apostle Paul is worried about one, there's over 30,000 in the Bible. I don't know how many you know, but if he's worried about missing one, he said, if I miss one, if I don't get, if I don't allow one to get in, even though I have 29 other thousand, if I miss one, that one may be the very thing that'll cause me from entering into the rest of God. So the question you ask me is then, so why is it that you're a Bible-holic and why do you like the Word so I can just keep you here a long time on Sunday mornings? No. You ought to hang around the people I hang around with at church. I need all the rest I can get. <laughs> so I found out through the years, I don't know about you, Hebrews 4 and 2 says this. Show verse 2, son. So for unto us was the gospel preached as well unto us as them. Watch this. But the word of God preached did not profit them because not being mixed with faith that heard it. So I'm, 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 not, I'm not even going to look at you. 
Anybody here ever a school teacher? It's not a trick question. Raise your hand. Yeah. You're looking at them, but they're not. They're not getting it, are they? And they're not. It shows on the report card. And it's not the fact that you're a bad teacher, because you're smart. It's just the fact that they're not trying. So that's, that's, why, that's why we take them out back and cut their little fingers off until they get it right. <laughs> so he's pulling his hair out, Casey, and he said, you're not getting this. This is, this is the echelon of the Jews. And he said, by you allowing just one promise to escape your life, it's keeping you from entering into the rest of God. Because those before us, they heard the gospel preached just like you, but it did them no good. Some of you have been in church so long, but it's not profited you anything. There's people in the last 30-something years has filed into this place, and they have heard more biblical principles than you can imagine in 30-something years, or however long they're here. It's right off the screen, but it did not profit them anything because it was not mixed with faith. That's Scripture. And one of the things he deals with, the idea of this, he said, this is the deal. Watch this. The reason why you're not entering to his rest is because you are not absorbing the promises of God in your life. And they're not being mixed by faith. And here's, here's really what faith means. It's a called, Greek word called pistis. That means this, you don't believe it. So let's just get right down to it. Let's just flay the fish. The reason why we don't give and the reason why we don't surrender, the reason why we don't do this, because basically we don't believe it. And when things don't go our way, we don't believe it. We don't believe anything of God's word as long as we're making money and as long as we got good health and as long as everybody's good. I mean, we'll, we'll act like we believe it when the first time we have a little sign of trouble and things are not going good and we're not glowing in the dark. We, we say this behind closed doors. I really don't believe any of this stuff. But I will tell you, the more the word of God you get in you with understanding it's doing something. It's kind of like, I can't tell you, but eating large quantities of pinto beans, I'll tell you, it works on you. <laughs> There's something bubbling, I mean, tell you. I mean, the more scripture you get in you, I'm telling you, it's alive. Yes. And it's doing something. Yes. And I mean, it ain't gas, it's God. And, I, and Paul said, I've never hung as a dead weight. You never had to drag me anywhere. And we're up to here dragging Christians around. Oh, come on, please, come on. Would you please? Forget that mess. Here's the gospel. Here's faith. Here's a great community of believers. And it's up to you to say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. But it, it, it didn't do him any good because they were not mixed with faith. So I got to go. Well, watch this. Here we go. Faith brings rest. The Bible says it wasn't mixed with faith. The gospel wasn't mixed with faith. Faith always plays well with others. Faith in God and His Word will always mix well with His ways. Verse 2 says they heard it, 
but it did them no good. No good. Some of you are going to leave the same way you come. But some of you are going to say this, even though it's not making sense, and even though everything in my life right now is on the wrong side of the road, I believe him. And Romans 3 says, let every man be a liar, including myself, but let God be truth. Because I can lie to myself. Anybody ever lie to yourself? Oh, the rest of you are going to go to hell. Has anybody ever lied to yourself? And you say, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Well, you're better than Virgil. Well, I mean, how much does that take? I mean, don't, don't, don't get into that comparison business. Faith in God and faith in His Word will always mix well with God's ways. Watch this. His faith works with mercy. Matthew 23 and 23. His faith blends with righteousness, Romans 1 and 17. His faith works with hope, 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. His faith works with a good conscience, 1 Timothy 1 and 19. His faith works with boldness, 1 Timothy 3, 13. His faith works with good works, James 2 and 22. His faith works with virtue, which is excellent moral conduct. And his faith works with love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and temperance, Galatians 5, 20, 23. You know what he's telling you? All these, they have one thing in common. Mercy, righteousness, hope, good conscience, boldness, good works, virtue, excellent moral conduct, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and meekness, and temperance, and there's others but I'm out of breath. They all have one thing in common. Watch this. Faith is in them. The scripture says it. So you say to me, what does that mean? Matter of fact, you don't know this, but the Bible says if, if it's not a faith, it's a sin. The Bible said in Romans 14 and 23, if it's not a faith, it's a sin. That means, it's not about eating certain foods, so forget, but it means this. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. It's dealing with eating your diet. It means, Paul said, you're still hung up on this. So what about mercy? What about righteousness? What about hope? What about good conscience? What about boldness and good works and excellence and all these things? What is it? Faith is the ingredient that works with all of these. It means this. Watch this. I believe God is merciful even when I don't deserve it. Oh, baby. If, see, if you'll get with me, I'll quit. The longer you're quiet, I think you're not getting it, so I'll go on. And the more that I feel like that I'm not righteous, but His Word says I'm righteous, so I trust, I have faith in His righteousness. And when I feel like that I don't have hope tomorrow, the Bible says hope is the anchor of my soul. I trust Him. I trust Him with my good conscience. I have faith that I, I can have boldness to be a good witness. And all these things means this. Faith is mixed in with every one of these. I'm telling you, 
the faith of God and the faith in His Word, it mixes well with His ways. You can trust Him. Philip, God never promised us smooth sailing. He just promised us a safe landing. So the more I know about God and His Word, the more rest I have. Do me a favor. Just kind of smile a little bit. Don't growl at me. Just smile at me. You're at rest. Peace with God. The Apostle Paul said, let us labor to enter into that rest. And that's what we're going to do or I'm going to bust a gut trying to get you there. The work on the cross is a finished work. It's auto chaos. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So what do you need to do? Absolutely nothing. Just receive it. Don't touch it. You'll mess it up. Just thank God for it. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Give the Lord a praise offering. Hey, you're a good audience. Thank you for that. <laughs> Growing in the lettuce patch. Let us, as Calvary Christian Fellowship, let us rest in God. You'll thank me later. Father, we found out this morning that when you rested at creation, you wasn't tired. You were finished. And we've been commanded not to touch it or insult you by the color of the sky, the shape of the mountains, or the courses of the rivers, because it's your creation, and who are we to touch it? And we've learned at Calvary that Jesus' shed blood was a finished work. And we're commanded not to try to improve on it. We've been commanded to trust it. And it will bring us rest. Thank you for your finished work of redemption. And I pray this morning, Father, that for everyone that's in this place that has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior in their life, I pray once again, now then the next step is this, is let's make sure that not one promise of Scripture escapes our mind. I need it. I'm going to need it tomorrow. And I know I'm going to need it Tuesday because I cannot love and trust someone that I don't know. And I want to know you. And I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Because I need to trust you in everything in my life. If you're here this morning, you have never, ever made a commitment to Christ. You're in the right place. And it's really simple, I, I guess. If you feel the, the quickening of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God drawing you as a hook in your jaw, it's God convicting you. And it's a simple matter. It's a matter of repentance towards God and faith in Jesus.
So in a few moments when we take Holy Communion, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to find a place to pray. You can find one of us. We'll be glad to help you in any way. Father, give us rest this morning as we trust you. In Christ's name, amen. Communion service, if you'll please come this morning. Turn about two people and give them a hug and say, hey, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Are your emotions on empty? Is someone standing on your last nerve? Then give up. Just come to Christ. And he will take your burden. And you can live life not carelessly, but carefree. Father, I pray that you bless this communion this morning. We celebrate the bread and we celebrate the cup. This is your body broken for us, your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And Father, we labor to enter into your rest, your finished work through your son, Jesus. Amen.